This is Killstreak. Freaks, not addict, addict. That's pretty insensitive, Eric. I'm sorry. <laughs> greetings, freak addicts. What? Mm. No, it's a disease. Uh, greetings, uh, addict full of freaks. It is Killstreak, episode 156. I'm Eric Goslin, And joining me here, as always, not in the room. Did you guys know that we're still recording remotely? There was a period when we weren't. We yeah. We're back to it. And Eric kind of oh. told me he didn't want to do it anymore. And then we just stopped. You know? No, I did Well, because you had a COVID scare. It was back in those days. Uh, Mike Price, how are you? I'm clearly uh, resentful that we don't record in person <laughs> anymore. We can. It doesn't. I mean, it just seems like a real hike for you. Yeah, it is. And yeah, I mean, you, you would never consider coming here. So I understand that. I mean, I, I, I'd come there. Sure. Okay. That sounds fun. All right. We'll make a night of it. All right. Great. All right. We can get a, well, there you go. Do you want to get a WeWork in the middle? <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We should rent out a, like, for our last series, let's rent out, like, a, a really professional <laughs> yeah. podcast studio. Yeah. What do you think Earwolf would charge us for studio time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely remove us from the premises. <laughs> we had Mookie Blakelock on once. Uh, that's true. That's true. So that, that's what we'd say to Scott Ackerman. <laughs> um. So today we're talking Basket Case Two, again by Frank Henenlotter, his second movie of 1990. Yeah. <clears throat> First being. Frankenhooker. I can't tell which one I actually shot first. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I think, if I remember correctly, Frankenhooker shot second. I think that. I, remember, I think that's right. I think the release order. Yeah, I don't know if the release order is the same, but I think this came before Frankenhooker. I think that's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting to make two movies in one year. That's and it's. I guess when there are these movies, you can't. I don't know. I, this, uh, whatever. We'll get into our thoughts. Thoughts and sh- shot, shots and, and pl- thoughts. And, and, and thoughts, T-H-O-T-S. Plots and thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, please. Yeah, um, yeah he, had, uh, he, had a, he had a real uh, sort of productive run between 1988 and 1991. Uh, yeah. He did, four, he did four movies and in four years. And then it was uh, 17 years off afterwards and Man. six years off before. So, yeah. I wonder how much money a Frank Henenlotter makes off of these movies. It's a great I mean, question. I guess enough. He lives lives in New York, probably in a rent-controlled place. Apparently, Joe Bob Briggs' neighbor. Oh, they live close to each that's other. That's fine. Wait, Joe Bob doesn't live building? in Texas? 
I know. Disappointing, right? He lives in New York City. Wow. Where they make the salsa. Yeah, what is he? Fucking, he's, he's not <laughs> having pace picante, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find the numbers on Basket Case, too. Uh, no box office performance, no video sales numbers. So, yeah, I mean it's a trauma movie, right? I wonder it's, if it, it must have had some sort of theatrical run. Now I don't know about that. This uh, this is just based purely on an anecdotal experience of mine. But the way that the the trauma runs in this, it feels like this is a trauma distribution. Oh yeah, not and a I can speak production. to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Troma makes Lloyd Kaufman's movies, and that's it. Those are that's their originals. It? They never made anybody I'm, else's? I'm pretty sure. Wow. The rest are, like, all acquired movies. Okay. Yeah. As far as I know. I know that was certainly the case with our movie. Sure. Th- our three movies. Did you guys get a theatrical run? We did, yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, God. I, I mean, other than film festivals, okay, no. sure. That doesn't count, yeah. yeah. No, it does not count. Um, but he, I was just thinking, you know, back in the day when a big portion of their profit would be getting studio, I mean, not studios, movie theaters in like, you know, grind houses. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how like Toxic Avenger before it was on video got like a word of mouth that way. Yeah. So, yeah, I wondered if if they did that with this case, in this case, because uh, they certainly did with Basket Case 1, but probably not. Can't oh. say. Can't say. Yeah. Won't say. No, I refuse to. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. I'm just going to stonewall you this episode. That's fine. I, I'll Make me do the work for once. Yeah, this is the... Just a- resting on my laurels. <laughs> this is the Eric episode. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the making of the movie, unless you want to talk about your super scary visit to the land of Leprechaun 2... <laughs> No, three. 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 Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Um, (laughs) Did you see anything spooky in Vegas? Yeah, I saw the death of man. Like, (laughs) spiritually, not literally. Sorry, I hit my mic stand. Um, No, it was fine. My wife and my sister and my in-laws went to go see Taylor Swift. And uh, my sister's boyfriend and I uh, didn't. And it it was a grand old time. Um, <clears throat> they, had, they had a good time seeing T Swift. I think they did. It seemed like they were very excited. Um, That's cool. Not a lot of horror crossover with Taylor no. and the Swifties. No, it doesn't. I seem could try to make a tortured that. joke, but I just don't have it in me. <laughs> if this wasn't the Eric episode, I might try. But that's fine. No, let me do all the work. Yeah. Uh, Taylor's version. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know Taylor Swift very well. Yeah, I mean that's. That's topical, but you would have to then like make a joke, make a joke, like, yeah, not connect just say it to thing. something, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, well, also just a quick update on the Devil's Gate. Hmm. So um, if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, you've got probably twelve hours left, uh, or less than twelve hours left to to pledge, uh, help contribute to the movie. We have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we've we've gone further than we did last week, but I, I'll say that you know this past week has been um, mostly leveled out. Um, 
but uh, you know, sent out some stretch goals. I waited um, probably, I guess, five or six days longer than you're supposed to to do that. Um, mm. I was pretty busy trying to make this movie this week. Um, but yeah, some fun things we want to try to do if we can hit our our max budget, like our our 15k goal, uh, licensing some more music, uh, mm-hmm. hiring a key grip so our movie looks better, um, mm-hmm. renting a hazer. And fogging the shit out of a Pasadena hillside. Oh wow! Yeah, so take one more look if you uh, if you haven't yet, and if you have, but you haven't shared it with your friends and family, please do. Bit.ly/slash/the-devil's-gate. Yeah, donate donate some money. I did, and you should too. It's true, he did a generous amount. <laughs> I, I could do more, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe if you beg me. Oh, okay. I want you to beg me. <laughs> Please, Mr. Eric. Ooh, now you're talking. <clears throat> <laughs> the rest of this episode is just Mike and I sub-dom role play. <laughs> Can I go to It'll the- It'll be our most listened to episode. Can I go to the party? No, that's getting, it's gonna be that's getting weird. Ba- no. Yeah, no, it's weird. <laughs> What are you going to call bear skit case? Uh, bear skit case. I like it. Uh, let's talk basket case too. Sure. Is there a lot of information about this movie? I suspect not. No, there isn't. Uh, there's, you know, <clears throat> Hannon Lauder's done some interviews about it, but as is often the case when people do interviews, he tends to say mostly like the same three things in every interview about it. And then some, yeah, sometimes yeah. there will be a unique pearl of information. Um, but uh, what can I share about this? Initially, uh, he was very resistant to making a sequel to Basket Case. Mm-hmm. Uh, he put it very frankly. That's a that's a pun. Eric. I get you. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, Let me be frank. <laughs> and and in this case, we all said yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have a problem with that. Um, he, uh, you know, he said, okay, so you know what's in the, at the end of the first movie, you know what's in the basket, and uh, Dwayne and Belial are dead, so mm-hmm. what what sequel are you going to make? Um, but uh, I guess, um, you know, some other people eventually talked him into it. Perhaps money was involved. I can't say for certain. Um, but I guess this idea that he had been kicking around was unrelated to Basket Case. He wanted to do okay. like a kind of modern day freaks thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I think somebody was like, "Well, what if you made it like a Basket Case sequel?" And he was like, "Yeah, I could do that. I could I could squeeze these these gents in there." Um, and mm-hmm. so that's what he did. This um, you know, information on the financiers is hard to come by. Um. You know, as as we we talked about, it's got trauma behind it. Shapiro Glickenhouse Entertainment, mm-hmm. they have a relationship with trauma, don't they? Oh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I want to say they do. Um, there's a book about them. There's it's called the Untold, In-Depth, Outrageously True Story of Shapiro Glickenhouse Entertainment. Oh, I think I've heard of that actually. Yeah, and it looks like. Um, what was that? You farted. No, I didn't. Yeah, I that, was you, fell. that was you farting. Um, no, it was not. It's pretty clear. Um, <laughs> okay, so oh, this is more more like uh, 80s. Uh, so they were involved in films like The Exterminator, 
Black Roses, which we've talked about. Oh, that's where I've seen the name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Reds, they did some action stuff. Shakedown, Red Scorpion. Eric, a, a movie you might be familiar with, No Retreat, No Surrender 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know that one. Basket Case. Cynthia Rothrock. Yeah, Basket Case 2 and 3, Frankenhooker, Ma- Maniac Cop. It's a lot of cult stuff. Okay. All right. So Frankenhooker and uh, Black Roses are probably the two that I've seen recently. Yeah. Uh, when the when the name came up in the title card. Yeah. That, that checks out. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Edgar Ivans returning to produce. Oh, in this okay. So this is the other thing. Mm. You said Red Scorpion. In my head, I heard Red Sonia. Okay, but Red Scorpion is famous because they shot in South Africa when you weren't supposed to oh. because of apartheid. <laughs> they, they like broke. Yeah, that's really one of the controversies. Yeah, it's a yeah. Dolph Lundgren movie, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, the Jack Abramoff produced feature was dropped by Warner Brothers when protest groups claimed that the involvement of the South African government in the film's creation violated the United Nations cultural boycott. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Anything for a buck, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's rough. Uh, supposedly, the budget for this movie was $2.5 million. Um, wow. I mean, it's clearly a more expensive film than. The first basket case. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting what an in what an infusion of uh, of two million four hundred and forty thousand dollars will get you to what what level mm. that looks like. Yeah, um, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, I'll save this mm-hmm. for the next segment. But comparing it to Frankenhooker, it's. It's interesting. I don't know. I'll just leave it. Yeah, at they remind, remind me to talk about. There are that. ways in which I think they bear lots of similarities, and then there are other ways in which, to me at least, they feel like very different. Not just films in terms of the story, the acting, and that sort of thing, but also just like they don't feel like they necessarily no. came from the same guy in the same year. Um, in like Brain Damage and Frankenhooker, do yes, they do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um. But yeah, uh, it was shot in New Jersey, um, which is interesting. Um, Newark and Plainfield, as best as mm. as best as I can tell, my sources tell me, Eric. <laughs> um, Your man on the ground <laughs> in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom grew up in Jersey. Um, yeah, but it was uh, you know this one's shot on thirty five millimeter, not sixteen. It's uh, it's got some sets. They clearly built some sets for this movie. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Or used some sets that were pre-constructed. Some art direction for sure. Yeah, hell of a special effects budget. Um, yeah, a guy named uh, Gabe Bart Bartalos Bartalos B A R T A L O S. I don't know exactly how you pronounce that, but he's um he's a prolific makeup and special effects. Uh, guy, um, he's he's worked in some capacity on a lot of things we know. I can't quite tell how many things he was the lead on. This he was, um, but mm. for instance, he was uh, an assistant on Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason lives. Mm-hmm. He was part of the crew of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. He was part of the crew on From Beyond and Dolls, Stuart Gordon's films. Uh-huh. Uh, Gremlins Two, Dark Man. Uh. Fast Case 3, 
Munchie. He was the creator of Munchie. Creator of Munchie. Yeah. From wow. from the 1992 film Munchie, which is a sort of faux sequel to Munchies. Yeah. <laughs> it's just about a it's a singular Munchie. Uh, <laughs> Bud the Munchie. Yeah. Uh <laughs> That one was directed by Jim Wynorski of Chopping Mall fame. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, but I don't want to get too far afield here. But Jim Wynorski, hell of a filmography to just browse on IMDb if you've never done it. Um, no, I've never have. One of, one of my favorites uh, in his filmography is The Witches of Breastwick, which, <laughs> which I will just share very briefly. Uh, a friend of the podcast, I don't want to out him completely, but I will say that I mentioned his name on the podcast in the last 10 minutes. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing a comedy show in our dorm. I think this is our freshman year. Uh, so he had rented a projector um, from the school, but he had it in his dorm room. And mm. another friend, who I won't mention by name, but was my best man at my wedding. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. Happened to have a DVD copy of The Witches of Breastwick. <laughs> And Eric, you probably know this this particular dorm, the the main dorm at Emerson College in downtown Boston. Yeah, they called back then it was the little building. Yeah, now now it's not. It's something they moved. They don't call it the LB anymore. The little building. Well, they probably do, yeah. but the main dorm is other buildings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> but they still use that building. That's still Emerson. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, that building is you know in a, a city block in Boston, and it's you know across the street is another tall building. Was that sixty two Boylston? I think. Um, mm, I don't remember. Our our drug dealer lived there, but uh, <laughs> anyways, we grabbed the oh to be a drug yeah. dealer in the next to the Boston Commons. He was, at Emerson he College. was doing all right. Um, he used to watch a lot of CKY videos in his apartment, and nice. He would uh, he had an airsoft gun that looked real that he would. Uh, wave around the first time someone came to his apartment for the first time as a bit. Um, oh my God. That's a great bit. It was great. Once it had happened to you, you and you were yeah, friends yeah. with him and you like, he also went to school with us. <laughs> so it's just like, cause he wouldn't ever threaten anybody with it. He just sort mm. of like, he'd hold it and then he'd kind of gesture with it. And yeah, that's, can I tell a really quick first night at college story? Oh, yeah. Well, let me finish this one because it's almost done. So, anyways, yeah, yeah, we yeah. projected Witches of Breastwick across the street onto the <laughs> side of 62 Boylston. <laughs> so, I think the image was probably about 30 feet high. Anybody walking down the street could have seen it. There were a lot of That's great. witch boobs. Okay. Tell was your this story. your freshman year? Um, This was my freshman year. Yes. Okay. So, I was still in the dorms. I didn't hear about you know, this. It, made have, it might have been the great. Bear Wench Project, not the Bre- Oh, sure. But, which we which have actually breastwick. talked about before. Yeah. But the Bear Wench Project, also Jim Wynarski. Okay. So, go ahead. Wow. Oh, so my first day at Emerson College, and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners who are friends of ours know this. Uh, yeah. We just said it's in the center of Boston, right next to the Combat Zone, Chinatown Combat Zone area. Uh, Boston Commons is directly across the street. Amazing location for a college. Mm-hmm. Like, really can you like can you imagine what a rented of an apartment in that location would be if oh, it weren't God. but there's a really sketchy 711 on Tremont Street mm-hmm. behind our campus yeah. and the very first night it was like late and a few of us walked over there to like get snacks and stuff and it was filled to the brim with people and a lot of like 
unhoused people. And this is like my first time spending overnight by myself in a city. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm from Maine. Yeah. And so I was like a little bit uncomfortable. And somebody comes in and goes, everybody down. I got a gun. This is a robbery. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. It was just like oh fucking perfect god. timing. Is I was like shat myself. I was like, oh my god, first night in this big city. That's incredible. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Okay, so that was all a, a tangent from Gabe Bartalas, who did the uh, the the creature effects in this guy. He was also, you know, what else he was the lead on? Leprechaun Four in space. Oh, that's where his name is from. That's yeah, okay. yeah. And I just looked up. He didn't do special effects for Frank and Hooker, which I thought might be where I recognized. No, name, he no. didn't. But he no. did Basket Case Three. Um, <clears throat> okay, uh, written and directed by Frank Hennenlotter. Let's talk cast for a second. Uh, returning to the role that made him famous, is, Kevin, did he, uh, Kevin Van Hennenlotter certainly returns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you this. He can still deliver the same performance he gave in 1982. That's true. Yeah, He's still true. the Dwayne we know and love. Um, <laughs> this, Aside from a cameo in Brain Damage, this is his first acting role since Basket Case. Okay. Uh, as we talked about before, he's a sculptor. He's an artist. That's what he does uh, as a profession. Right. Um, other leads in the film, Heather Ratray plays uh his love interest susan mm-hmm. uh she was in an episode of star trek voyager uh she's like days of our lives or something. as the world like, turns she was as <clears throat> world she had a 70 episode arc on as the world turns so yeah she's wow she's a soap actress um her is it her grandmother is granny yeah, i don't know i'm not sure this one is called granny ruth but the age gap seems more like she's probably just her mother her mother, uh, yeah. And she's Granny to the Freaks. I don't know. But uh, Granny Ruth is played by Annie Ross, who was a a, a more famous actress, we'll, we'll say. She's also um, a singer. Um, but she was in Superman 3. Mm. Um, she was in a bunch of shit in the 70s and 60s. You guys don't really care about. She's in Throw Mama from the Train. Fun stuff. Um, who else? Uh, Catherine Meisel is the blonde, uh, muckraking attorney, not attorney, or journalist. Person. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't know why I said attorney. Attorneys, <laughs> attorneys aren't muckrakers. Journalists are muckrakers. Sound like an idiot. Uh, Marcy. Um, she's in You've Got Mail. Uh, she was on Oz. <laughs> I'm guessing not one of the prisoners. Um, <laughs> She's done a bunch of TV, like, you know, one-offs. So she's a TV actress. She does that. Um, perhaps the uh, the biggest, uh, you know, pop. What's up, Jim Hall? Um, <laughs> that I got in this movie was the uh, third act appearance uh, of Ted Sorrell. Eric, did you recognize him immediately? Did it take a while or do you still not know who I'm talking about? Uh, no, I know who you're talking about. Um, it did. I I did recognize him. Um, after I googled him, okay. I recognized that I knew him. Yeah, yeah. But um, then looked up where. Yeah, from from Beyond. Yeah, he's the antagonist in From Beyond. Doctor Pretorius. He plays yeah. Phil in this one. He's great. I he he didn't do a whole ton of stuff. 
I mean, you know, he did he did a, some TV acting, he did some soap acting, and he's in a handful of movies. But you know, I would say From Beyond was his biggest role, uh, best as I can tell from his resume. Uh, Wait a minute, what this can't. David Emge from Dawn of the Dead. Oh, you snaked me. That was my next one. Yeah. Oh wow. He plays I... Half Moon. Yeah. The Holy freak. shit. Yeah. What a weird role for him to play. Yeah. Well, it was his I first acting role since Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Wow. <laughs> and he did one more in '92, and that's about it. That's funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah. His uh his life's path. Uh. I think he mostly is a theater actor. and Oh, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. And I think if he worked as a theater actor for for enough, long enough, I'm going to guess he also taught theater. That tends to be... Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tends yeah. to be a path. Um, yeah, so this movie, uh, those are most of the details I've got. I know it's a little bit cut, you know, it's a little dry. We don't have quite so many pieces of, uh, of fun trivia uh, you guys can read the IMDb trivia. It fucking sucks. Um, it's all <laughs> stupid. Um, but yeah, um, what else? We got, you know, we've got some new effects, right? We got a lot more Belial with a dude's head in there. Yeah. Um, and I tried really hard to figure out who that is. I was like, maybe it's Kevin Van Hentenrick. I don't know. I think it is. You think so? Yeah. Because there's no credit given anywhere um i'm pretty sure it is okay because i think at the end when it's like uh the two like belial and i don't remember the other like susan belial yeah yeah i think it's both of their heads in there it makes sense that's why that's why i came to that conclusion yeah but, uh, but yeah hard to confirm anywhere on imdb he is not credited with Dwayne and belial just Dwayne. but no one is credited as belial yeah, uh, poor Belial getting the shaft again. <laughs> I mean, he's not a great guy. I gotta be honest. No, he's not. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, that's about it. Um, All right. I feel like I really failed at making this your episode. You know. Well, you know, it's just, it's built into the show that you have to do some stuff. <laughs> yes. I'll do this next part though. Okay. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get into plots and thoughts. dark in here, so I'm going to have to use a flash. It'll be a big burst of light. But don't let it upset you. Just relax. Sit back and say, gee. Remember the Times Square Freak Twins? Yeah. Mm, they're born Siamese twins. And they get cut apart, kill some doctors, and vanish from the hospital. <laughs> for us and find all of them. Exactly. I can't let that happen. Well, I found them. So what will you do? Whatever I have to. Basket Case 2. 
That's no way for a reporter to behave. He wants to grant you an interview. A personal interview. His very first. He's all excited. This time, he's not alone. After falling from an apartment building at the end of the first film, Dwayne Bradley and his deformed, surgically separated, conjoined twin, brother Belial, are taken to the hospital. Their unusual situation draws media attention, making it impossible to leave a secret life. They are rescued from the hospital by Granny Ruth, who saw their story on the news. She takes them to her home, where she and her granddaughter Susan care for an extended family of similarly deformed individuals. Among these individuals is Eve, who is similar to Belial in that she is a bodiless torso. Traumatized by how she has been treated prior to Ruth rescuing her, Eve is mute and spends most of her time in the attic. A few years pass, and as Eve and Belial fall in love, Dwayne's resentment of Belial grows. He hasn't forgiven Belial for Sharon's death, and wishes to live a life without being surrounded by freaks. As previously, he had been unable to leave Belial due to their psychic bond. During all of this, a sleazy reporter named Marcy and her equally sleazy photographer, hey, enough of the editorializing, (laughs) has been looking for the Bradley brothers in order to bring them to justice. Upon discovering the freaks, Marcy decides that she will expose them to the world, forcing Ruth and the others to stop her. They kill the photographer as well as a private detective that was assisting Marcy. Duane tricks Marcy into allowing the freaks into her home under the guise that Belial wants an interview. Belial mutilates her face, turning her into a freak as well. This did miss the whole um, killing of the circus sideshow guy. Yeah. Um, that's not mentioned. Yeah, but then also again, the movie kind of abandons that yeah, as well. Yeah. It feels like it's yeah. going to be maybe more part of the plot, and it's not. That night, the freaks celebrate their victory while Eve and Belial consummate their relationship in the attic. Seeing this as an opportunity to finally be free of Belial, Dwayne approaches Susan and asks her to run away with him. She is horrified that he would leave his brother and reveals that she, too is a freak. She's a real freak. <laughs> she had been pregnant for six years with her, uh, as her baby refuses to leave the womb. This shatters the last of Dwayne's psyche, and he kills Susan by pushing her out of a window. He then goes to Belial and forcibly sews him onto his body. The film ends as Ruth and the others discover what Dwayne has done and stare at him horrified. Okay. All right. That's a very brief summary. It is. So I'm just wondering, because I feel like there's going to be many people who don't go out and watch Basket Case 2. Yeah, probably not. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Uh, there are some things that I feel like are probably worth explaining in a little more detail to folks. Um, kind of going backwards from it. Uh, these, um, all of this stuff when... Uh, Granny Ruth decides to sort of marshal the troops. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, is yeah. sort of like Ooh, the third shit. act. I my headphones out of my ears. Uh, Eric is, he can't hear me, so. Uh, there oh, we go. Shit. I'm back. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, as you say, basically the whole third act kind of kicks off with Granny Ruth. Uh, like, the thing the thing that the movie sort of does is it is it sort of wants you... This is the... this is I mean, not to get into my plots and thoughts, but... You know, part of the thing with the... Uh, the freak show guy getting killed is if that if that yeah. didn't happen, then the movie could sort of succeed in what I think it's trying to do, which is like you're not quite so sure if these are the good guys or what. Um, yeah. You know, obviously you're supposed to be feel sympathetic towards them, but up until the third act, you could be you could mistake them for being like kind of benign, like yes, hey, we're just yeah. trying to survive. People are persecuting us, but then so it kind of becomes clear that she's like a fucking psycho. Yeah, um, she's also a crazy yeah. person. I was like super into murder and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are some fun sequences though. Um, the photographer being sort of uh, drawn into the house. They kind of set a trap for him mm-hmm. by by sort of making Dwayne very visible, and then Belial jumps him and eats his face. Yeah, and the cool strobe effect from outside the yeah the house. Yeah, how Marcy you know figures out that he's being killed, and yeah. then uh, the aforementioned uh, Ted Sorrell, the private detective, um, he uh, gets gets goes to meet Dwayne at a bar, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of a fun scene where uh, they have a whole conversation and there's a lot of talk about who's a freak and it's sort of like in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king sort of stuff where it's like uh-huh. hey if you're in a freak house then like you're the freak because you're, you're the freak yeah, yeah 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 and then it's revealed that all of the uh all the freaks are there sitting at the bar they're all wearing human masks like normal <laughs> face masks um in a in a comical bit because they're not yeah, supposed yeah. to be believable you know, half moon, his head is, he's like Mac tonight. That's like how big his head is. Yes. Um, and that's a fun kind of violent scene. But anyways, uh, anything else you think from like earlier in the movie that gets short shrift here that people you'd want to well, know definitely about? Like their escape from the hospital. Yeah. We get a flashback, uh, not a flashback, a cameo from Casey from the first movie. Yeah. She's getting interviewed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's probably about right okay cool well um you hadn't seen this before right no but you had no i'd never seen it before either no this is the first time for me um well i would love eric since this is your episode um sure to hear what your thoughts were your blood and guts check on your first watch through basket case two blood and guts check initially I was like, oh, this is definitely way slicker looking mm-hmm. than the first. It's undeniable. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it's sort of missing that spark, mm-hmm. that je ne sais quoi sure. from the first movie. But then once it ramped up into the final act, mm-hmm. I was like fully on board again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. This movie's <laughs> weird as hell. Like, it's a weird, there's yeah. some weird turns. Um, so I think. It took me like three days to get through this, and it wasn't any fault of the movies. I was just like tired. Yeah. And um, so that probably had some effect on my whole like journey through the movie. But all in all, I had a pretty good time 
while still not being completely like in love with the movie. Sure. If that makes sense. No, um, that does. What I mean, so you were criticizing a bit the storyline, like the plots that get abandoned. And truthfully, I didn't even think of those because the movie's so weird yeah. and so like ramshackle that it's like, all right. I mean, well. it really does abandon them. It just sort of moves yeah. on and it never looks back. And so in that respect, it doesn't really suffer that much later on because you're just like, well, there's different stuff going on now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what about yourself? Well, uh, I mean, I think the the people at home are just going to forever be bored by us, I think, because I feel mostly the same way. I agree with a lot okay. of, of what you said. I mean, I'll, I'll be, I, I guess I, I can be a little more critical in just saying that, like, my reactions were kind of all over the place. And, yeah, I mean, mine yeah. were too. If I'm yeah. being honest, yeah. yeah, there were times when I was like, "This sucks. I don't like this." Um, yeah, and like to your point, more in the first half of the film. Um, yeah. Similarly, I watched about 30 minutes, and then I just moved on to watching something else because I had a few days to watch it, and I was like, "All right, well, I took a chunk out of it." But I'll tell you, that first 30 minutes, I wasn't really feeling it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you said, it's clearly a, a more expensive movie. But the thing is, like, it immediately loses what we were talking about last week, which is that, like, free production design you get from shooting it in New York City, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, this grit and this almost excitement of being there on location in the city is totally gone from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's almost like a kind of grindhouse sort of aesthetic the first one right that it's like oh this this feels like like a movie that like you shouldn't know about right Mm -hmm. whereas this one this feels like a it feels like a video nasty or something yeah yeah the first one does and this one just feels like a cheap like a low-budget horror movie from 1990 it it feels like child's play 2 sure like in in its tone and it's like art direction Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like I got similar vibes from that. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, this is an era. It's got, I'll just, I'll just call it out right now. It's not really even the movie's fault. Um, and this maybe uh, not a spoiler, but a little inspiration for the third segment, just truly the most cursed era of all time for film scores, which is like, Oh my God. Which yeah. I've talked about many times on the podcast, just like late era synth where yeah. it's like, they're trying to do way too many things because the synth sounds are all like, hey, yeah. They're trying to sound real in a way that sounds so fake. Yeah. It's like, hey, we can do strings. So it's basically like an orchestral score. And it's like, right, no, right. it isn't. It sounds like fucking trash. Yeah. You know? Sounds like the like the problem child movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, Really, it's kids movies that it makes me think of. Like cheapo kids it, movies. It does feel like a kids movie yeah. in parts. Um, that was one of my notes. Yeah. But so moving to some of the positive stuff, though, I think, yeah, it's like you, Henry Lauder talks about this plenty, but, you know, he didn't want to do a like a sort of cut and dry, really easy sequel where it's just like, hey, let's sort of roughly repeat the same beats as the first movie. He's like, we'll do something totally different. 
And I thought that might be where it was going at first, mm. especially with like that freak show guy being killed. Yeah. I thought, like, oh, well, now it's going to be Granny Ruth yeah. bringing Belial to kill like her enemies and shit, you know? Yeah, but no, it goes, it definitely goes its own way. Um, and yeah, it gets real fucking weird it, around a third of the way through and then kind of ramps up into the second act and then by the third act it's kind of balls to the wall and it's pretty crazy Mm -hmm. and it's pretty entertaining um so yeah it's i mean i haven't had an experience quite this like polarizing internally in a long time where it was like legitimately times when i was like i'm turning this off like i this movie's uh bumming me out and i will finish watching it later but then I watched the next, you know, maybe 45 minutes and then I ran out of time to finish it. And that was one where I was like, uh, I got to go. Okay. But I'm going to watch like one more scene and then had to like pause it and be like, I'm going to finish this as soon as I get back. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a very different feeling. Um, uh, um, yeah. sorry not to cut you off. No, do, do so. Um, it's your episode. Uh, so I wanted to compare it to the other movie that he made this year, Frankenhooker mm-hmm. a little bit. Because that was the thing that really, like, at first turned me off. Because I love Frankenhooker. Uh-huh. And Frankenhooker um, is similarly uh, heightened in its reality. Like, yeah. it looks ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It looks cartoonish. Um, but I think it's way more clever and funny. Yeah. And when this one started, I'm like... if feels like he's phoning it in like he didn't have any interest in making this and maybe there's some this was all complete speculation and maybe there's some sort of like contractual obligation or like just a cash grab of we'll make frankenhooker if you make this kind of thing Mm -hmm. which might be close to i don't know um so i was that's when i was the most bummed on the movie but then once we get to the freaks the there's some fun freak design, like really yeah. off the wall stuff. It's almost uncomfortable to look at. It reminded me a little bit of the famous lost episode of Killstreak. Yeah. The yeah. when we did the uh the live watch of Freaked with Whitney Moore. Yeah. Um Yeah, that sadly we lost that episode. I mean it was one of the commentary track episodes, so you probably wouldn't have listened anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least fifteen of you would have. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely got the same vibes and freaked freaked is more like it is a comedy. This is more, this is a comedy as well, but not a very funny one. They're funny. Mm, Yeah. There's, there's, there's humorous bits, but Frankenhooker is funny. This movie is not really funny. Um, the other thing I would say, if we want to kind of stack up, uh, Frankenhooker and, uh, Bass Case 2, there's two things that I think are not serving basket case two particularly well. Um, one is Frankenhooker still has the, I think some of that New York city grit to it. Um, absolutely. You know, it feels much more of a piece with the first basket case as far as the sort of, uh, locations and environment. And that's something that's true of brain damage as well. Um, you know, when we started this last week, we were talking about how Frank Hammondlotter is sort of like a grimy New York guy. That's like, but this is not that kind of movie. No. Best case two is not. The other, 
The other thing is in a movie uh, as sort of ramshackle as the first one, as the original Basket Case, I think it, a lead like Kevin Van Hendenrick fits in just fine because the whole movie is full yeah. of kind of weirdos who can't really act, but they're interesting to look at and and they're interesting, you know, sometimes and it, it fits the tone, right? But as this movie sort of leveled up its budget, Mm-hmm. I think it sort of leaves Kevin Van Hendenrick behind to a certain degree. Abs- I completely agree with you there. Yeah. It, was, it was stark contrast to even the not so great actors that are cast. Yeah. In the movie, like yeah, but like you not, know, it's not like Susan's doing a clinic. Uh, but <laughs> Kevin is she's like... she's an actress, and yeah, yeah, Kevin totally. Van Hendenrick is a sculptor who came back to do a sequel yeah. to the cult movie that he was in. It, in that way, it reminded me of Yeti 2, where, like... <laughs> Adam? Because <laughs> Yeti 1, we're just, like, casting our friends, yeah. and now, 10 years later, we're bringing them back, but we're also casting actors, too. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just, like, having to act yeah. these people who don't normally. Yeah. I like to think that I fall somewhere in the middle between yeah, you're, the people who you're don't You're one of the act. actors, oh, I would thank say. thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a little bit. There are better actors on that film than me. But yeah, I was also going to draw that comparison to, even though he's a not a known actor either, but James Lorenz, who plays Franken and Frankenhooker, mm-hmm. it's just like a much more appealing presence. I think as a leading man, he's a, little, he's a lot more charismatic than Kevin Van Hentenrick is. Can I talk about him briefly? Because sure. he appears in um, the movie we always talk about, uh, Street Trash. Yeah. He's a doorman in Street Trash, and he's Franken and Frankenhooker. Yeah. And in Street Trash, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Before I'd even seen Frankenhooker. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, it's that guy. I recognize that guy. He's famous. <laughs> and then I saw Frankenhooker. I'm like, oh, he's in this one, too. Oh, yeah. that famous guy. Yeah. Then I look him up. He's not famous. <laughs> Where do I know him from? He Who was on, he remind he me He was of? on a TV show. But that, he also... That, that's it, right? Yeah. You know what? I think I know... Does he is he kind of like reminiscent of like Harry Anderson? Uh that wouldn't be who I I okay. think he just reminds me of just like another character actor. Yeah. Who I assumed was the same person. Yeah, I mean you're He's probably in right. The Jerky Boys the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he was in a, a a TV series called City which got canceled after one season, but it's a Paul Haggis show. Oh wow. Um and yeah, he is a a series regular on that, um, but I don't know that I've ever even seen an episode of this show. But I mean, it's like Valerie Harper no, definitely is, not. is the lead. It was a network sitcom, um, but yeah, that's about yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I don't have much more to add to it other than I thought he was a famous person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's in King of New York. Um, he's in okay, RoboCop yeah. three. Okay. Uh, and like you said, the jerky boys. So I think he just popped up in a handful of things here and there. Sure, yeah. He's in Bridge of Spies. I think yeah, he but po- he's like, I, I looked that extra. up. He's, a, yeah. he's an extra, yeah, yeah. 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 But anyways, we I like I like James Lorenz a lot. Me too. Uh and unfortunately a lot more than I like Kevin Van Hentenrick. I don't yeah, mean, like I like sure. Kevin yeah, Van yeah. Hentenrick. I would much rather see James Lorenz. Definitely. In a movie. I like the idea of Kevin Van Hentenrick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, what else? What's, what's, what worked? What didn't? Yeah. So the wildness of the last act is worked for me when like the, ba- the 
baby pops out of her stomach and it's just like it's, this horrible worm yeah, monster. It's like the sandworm from Beetlejuice. Yeah. And like the Belial sex scene I thought was really funny. Yeah. Um the freaks, I think anytime the freaks are doing stuff, that's that's like my favorite parts in the movie. They're like funny, uncomfortable looking thing. Like the big teeth guy. Yeah. Uh, he's crazy looking in the bonehead woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like hard to look at. They got real creative with it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that's where most of the passion went. It does. But here's something, and I don't know if you agree with me, but something that I find confusing, which is they there is a lot of really fun creature effects that go into these freaks. I think. That Belial looks worse in this movie than he did Belial in the first one. Belial does look worse. I, thank you for saying so. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, Belial looks worse in this one. Um, I wasn't a fan of his design. He looks like a ball sack. He does. Yeah, they changed his sort of physical shape. Um, and and then the other thing that they do is I think they get sort of preoccupied with putting a human head in there as you, as you suspect Kevin Van Hentenrick himself. But the thing is, is it's like the, the, the normal, the default Belial to me in the first movie is a puppet. Is the puppet. Yeah. Yeah, Where they move his mouth and he looks fucking creepy and weird and it's great. And this one is just like, it's, it's like they, they, they started to polish it, but then they didn't go far enough and they kind of stopped halfway. And it's like, well now it looks worse because before it was like trashy and 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 lovable, and now yeah, it just looks yeah. like a cheap special effect. You know, I agree, totally agree. I also think they don't do enough to give individual characters to the freaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I would like them to be more, not just visually distinct, which they all are, but sure. have some sort of character game. Although they do sort of tease at the beginning when they're introducing them, like you see Lorenzo who has the most beautiful voice she's ever heard. Which <laughs> that was, was very funny. funny. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah. Um, um, how about the story? Uh, I mean, obviously, yeah. I, I might complain about that vestigial scene early on, but that's not super, super big deal. Um, the story's fun. It's fun to, like, it's sort of a progressive. It feels like progressive, the theme uh-huh. of, like, of, like, these protecting and banding together of these group of freaks. I, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. Um, it's like empowering to them. Yeah. Although they are murderers eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The murder, I mean, like I was saying, the, them all becoming murderers does sort of deflate a little bit of the emotional stakes of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yawn. Sorry. How do you, how, what about you story wise? What worked? What didn't work? Um, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, as a premise, I think it works all right, but I just don't feel like, you know, the story is very small, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, The plot itself is mostly just about this reporter and her, you know, cohort trying to infiltrate the house and find Dwayne and Belial. Um, I do think that, like, kind of the, the arc of Dwayne and Belial are both like he they he could have done more with both of those characters I think. Yeah. I like that Belial's happy in this one. 
That's, yeah. that was a fu- there's a fun reversal. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But at the same time, it's like, Belial's supposed to be happy, but then he spends like a third of the movie just murdering people. Murdering people. Which, yeah. <laughs> again, I'm like, well, in the first movie, he's like murdering people because they wronged him and his brother. And it's like, I don't. Now con- he just likes it. Yeah, I don't condone murder, but okay, whatever. This time around, it's just like, well, this is our murder guy. He's a murderer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it doesn't feel like much of a plot, like a character development for him. And then, yeah, as far as Dwayne's concerned, I mean, it's just you're asking him to do more than he can, I think. Yeah. In terms of a dog to do algebra. <laughs> oh, um, that's harsh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like him. Um, you know what my favorite joke was? What? That the gargoyle is real. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's it's yeah. funny that he's like eating at the end. Yeah, that was a good bit. And I, you know, I think this is a movie that's more like if it succeeds, it succeeds on the strength of makeup and some set pieces uh-huh. and not really the way it comes together as a whole movie. It it would be a fun movie to just put on in the background of a party, like a Halloween party or something. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't really need to this sounds really damning, but I don't mean it to be. You don't really need to pay attention to this. <laughs> no, like, you don't. You just kind of look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did have to rewind once, like 30 seconds, because I missed something, and that was about it. So, um, yeah, as far as the other performers go, like you were saying, they're fine. I do like Ted Sorrell. Mm-hmm. I was excited to see him. And. And I didn't regret my excitement. I enjoyed his his small piece. Yeah, it's always fun when a like a a movie that's big to you, but not really big. Mm-hmm. A character, an actor from the, one of those movies, pops up in something. It's always a nice yeah thrill. Yeah, definitely. Like David Emge has Moonface or whatever. Yeah, Moonface. except he's completely unrecognizable. Completely unrecognizable. Yeah. Well, cool. I don't have much else to you. No, I don't either. No. Um, all right. So in terms of death, oh, that's one thing. This movie is very tame death-wise. It has a handful of really gross gore effects, but they're not really in in motion. It's more like it's like the freak effects where it's like you see something in the aftermath and it's like, oh, that's fucked up. But yeah, it doesn't exactly, have the yeah. blood and the uh, and the and and that sort it's of stuff of the really first on, one. Yeah, not really on um, screen stuff. Fail. Okay. All right, so we get the flirtatious cop who gets his throat turn out torn out by Belial in the hospital. Uh, Mr. Barker. Oh, he's the the freak show guy. Mm. Um, Phil, the private detective, gets killed. Uh, is it that Artie? long? It's between the freak show guy and then Phil. That's there's not a. Did I miss? I may have missed something. Maybe not. I'm just. I was more just like sort of surprised, but I think you might yeah. be right. Artie yeah. gets killed by Belial. That's the photographer. Okay, so he does die before um, Phil. Oh, okay, I got yeah. those two mixed. It's not your fault. Uh, I'm just. Saying. Um. Uh, Marcy, I guess she. Does she die? Not necessarily. She gets her face She's, all fucked up. She gets her face all fucked up. Yeah. But then you don't really see her after that. I expected to see her as part of the freaks. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then Susan <clears throat> falls out of the window accidentally. Then Dwayne sort of pushes her out of there. Yeah. And I don't think I missed anybody. It's a pretty low body count. But I might be wrong. Yeah, I, I think you're anybody. right. 
Yeah. Um, Mike, what was your favorite? Death or death like sequence? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't know. It's not the first one. It's not the freak show guy. Um, yeah. It's probably – it's hard to say. One of the moments is much faster than the other. I think there's two good, gory moments in this uh, that involve, you know, violence towards people. I'm not counting Susan's, uh, you know, stomach worm or yeah. or the sex scene between Belial and Susan. <laughs> Susan's twin. Um, I guess it's not really Susan's twin. Now that we say it, what she it, has her. Who is it then? Yeah, I, I thought know. it was. Was it this? They just sort of blast through it all, you know, because I said it initially. But then when I was reading the description, I was like, oh, wait, yeah, no, she has the baby inside of her. Yeah, but I think she also she also ha- okay. had the twin. OK, I mean, it has yeah. her face. It does. And yeah. then otherwise, it's just body is just like Belial. Yeah. Um. OK, anyways, I'll go with. Because I don't think you're gonna pick it. Um, it's a small thing, but when when Phil is getting chased around and uh, before he's killed, he stumbles into the kitchen of the bar and falls down and lands on top of uh, Artie, the photographer, who we saw die sort of off screen. Mm-hmm. So we get to see his mutilated corpse and it's a good piece of work it's like his Mm -hmm. his face is all torn up and then it's like uh you know it's like his skull has sort of uh like all the skin is still on but it's like fractured in places so there's like a big gaping Mm -hmm. you know crevice in his lower jaw and stuff it's really gross it's good that's my pick that's a good pick um i think for me it might be Susan's, although she doesn't technically die, I guess. Uh, the aftermath of Susan. It looks crazy. Hmm. Like how, um, yeah, that's what I'm going to Wait, you mean Marcy? That's what I meant. Sorry, Marcy. Okay. Yeah, Susan just falls. She's Yeah. I, and I don't want to be a nitpicky person, but I watched that and I was like, second story, she lands on a picnic table. I know. she. That's uh, like wrestlers. Yeah, that. I think she'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. She lands on all those Doritos. Too, yeah. She's fine. Um, severed thumbs up or down is this movie gory Mike I mean you couldn't show it to a young person because of the no. scene that I picked and then also that you picked Marcy's all fucked up face yeah. Um, so I'll say yes but not extremely so but not one of the more gory movies that we would yeah. cover less so than this one uh, so, uh, the last one I meant to say yeah agreed um, the last one was was much more violent yeah. Um, ghost thumbs up or down. Is this movie scary? I'm going to say no. It's not scary at all. I agree. This is not scary. We compared it to a children's movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wed, bed, or behead? I can take it first. Okay. Um, so I, I, I hate to always compare uh, this one to the other Hen and Lauder movies that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I can do so not with Basket Case, but with Brain Damage and Frankenhooker. And to me, those movies really shine because there's a real creative spark. Um, and they're just outrageous and fun. This one has a fraction of 
the creativity I would mm-hmm. say that those two movies have and the energy. Yeah. It feels a little tossed off at times, but there's enough there that I enjoyed watching it. And I got, you know, like I, like we explained, there's periods where I wasn't so into it. And then finally it kind of won me over by the end. Mm-hmm. So that all that being said, it's not a great movie that I'm going to revisit frequently. So I'm going to go with a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a bed for me. Okay. Um, well, Eric, this is your episode, and I think that you you, you said it well, you know. Uh, so I don't have a whole much, whole bunch else to add that I haven't said already. Um, hits and misses, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's kind of a fun little um, object. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, so it's not getting a it's not getting a behead, but uh, but you know the bed that it will receive is is not. Uh, <laughs> You'll be generous. Yeah, bed. it's not going to have the same amount of chemistry as say Belial and his his new yeah, bride. Yeah, yeah. Their enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's my call. Okay, great. Well, let's take a quick break. We have a fun uh, third segment, an interesting third segment, actually. That's a I think it's going to generate some controversy. No, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Bye. Bye? Bye? No, we're still still back. We're coming back. We'll see you in a second. (laughs) This is why it's your episode, so I guess I got to handle the bumpers, right? We'll be back right after this. came up with this segment. I'm excited about it. I got to yeah. be honest, I'm not usually excited about things. <laughs> My segment idea. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you said what you meant to say. <laughs> We're calling it Oh, the Horrors. Mike, why don't you explain to our lovely listeners I what guess, we're about to do? I guess I can do that even though this is technically your episode, but... Um, <laughs> So, thinking about the year that this came out, 1990, and then thinking about how much I hate, you know, the scores from this era, uh, and then thinking back to a few weeks ago, uh, I think we we were talking about a movie that came out in roughly the same era as Jason Goes to Hell when when movies were getting hacked to pieces by the MPAA, right? Yeah. Um, and and I just sort of started thinking to myself, like, what is the most cursed year for horror movies? Like, yeah. people like to do the best movie year. Um, you know, there's a book about 1999, right? Um, mm-hmm. 1969, you know, mm-hmm. big one. But But, you know, if we flipped it on its head and we made it, like the podcast more specific to the genre of horror movies what's the worst year for horror movies um and it's a really interesting question um in this case because basket case 
kicks off the start of the 90s, 1990. Mm-hmm. We're doing the decade of the 90s. And this is something I think we're going to revisit. Um, you know, we have a limited number of decades. Sure. Certainly, six, well, 60s, maybe not. 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts, 10s. Yeah. And, yeah. We can do this at least six times. <laughs> and we can do the flip side of it, too. Yeah. The best year. Um, so I looked at a lot of lists on IMDb and on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. That's primarily where, and I used a lot of, for my criteria, because it's difficult because good movies came out in almost every year. Yeah. Great movies came mm-hmm. out in almost every year of the 90s. Um, so the thing that really picked uh, that pushed me to pick my year was that it was a year where not a lot of good stuff came out and a lot of just dreck mm-hmm. seemed to come out. I don't know. How did you go about, uh, do you want to guess how I went about doing this? <laughs> you like gave a number value to yeah, each movie. That's correct. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Christ. I have a spreadsheet. Um, oh it's color coded. Oh my God. <laughs> Basically what I did was I wrote down every horror movie released in every year from 1990 to 1999 that I have seen or okay. that I am well aware of. Okay. Right. Um, and then obviously understanding that I had to give some latitude to movies that I haven't seen. I then tried to assign just a simple three tiered. I, I actually did it as a color code of green, yellow, or red. So green one is like this is a good movie. This is this is a this is a boost for this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yellows were movies that I kind of liked or didn't hate, that basically like I think fit the bill of expanding the library of horror movies from that year without necessarily diluting the quality, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have movies in red, which I essentially are thinking of like, well, these are movies that I know of or I've seen, but they're kind of net negatives uh, or it, but I didn't make them negatives. I gave a single point for each of these. So le- more, more like these are the movies that aren't total trash, but you know, everything else that I would possibly list would be something I've never seen. Don't know enough about, or is so bad that it's dragging the whole year down. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I can start before you say yours and I say mine. Um, and I don't know if you had thoughts on this, but I have two years that I, that I identified as being far and away the best. Um, okay. But, but now I know that you're talking about wanting to maybe do this as a best segment at some point. So I'm wondering yeah, if I, I think shouldn't. Let's say, let's say that even for the next episode. No, yeah. we're doing rankings next episode. This well. guy's, this guy's always just trying to bank things we can do without having to think about it. You know? I mean, yeah. Well, often we're. Like, wait, what should we do for 13? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Anyways, there's two years that uh, that were head and shoulders above the rest of this decade. And so those immediately fell off my list. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch in the middle, all pretty tightly grouped together on my very precise soaring scale. So my highest scoring years were 35 and 33 points each. I won't tell okay. you what I won't tell you what years they were. Okay. Okay. Then I have. One, two, three, four, five, six movies that are in a pretty thick, uh, tightly packed middle. Uh, scores of 22, 21, 19, 19, and 19. Right? So that's that's mm. kind of just the middle of things. And that leaves us with two years. 
that are really pulling up the rear with individual scores of 14 and 13 points. And those are the ones that I'm going to try to talk about today. But I'd like to hear what you came up with. There. Yeah, I wonder if we kind of came to the same conclusions, even though one we approached of, it in different yeah, ways. I think one of the, like, for sure, the two years that I've highlighted, I'm positive that the one that you've selected is going to be one. Okay. So the mo- the year that I selected um, is right before everything changes and it's 1995 Hmm. that's the one i picked and i looked at the movies from that year and like i said in most of these years great movies came out this is what we get from 1995 tales from the crypt demon knight species which i like ice cream man halloween the curse of michael myers um leprechaun three so we got two one bad series and one series that is just bloated beyond mm-hmm. compare. And this that was a theme in the night the early part of the nineties. We just got these sequels that got so sure. fucking oh, like overwrought. Uh Tales from the Hood, The Addiction, which I've never seen, but it's probably good. Castle Freak I enjoy. Village of the Damned, Children of the Corn Three, The Third Candyman, Congo, Dark Man Two. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation, Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> that and then just like a lot of stuff that is I'm you know, a new another howling movie, the fourth one, The Mangler, Rumple Stillskin, which is like <laughs> a ripoff of Leprechaun, uh, the Piranha remake. Just a lot of Nothing jumps out at you as oh something I thought was funny. In almost every year we have a witchboard movie and a witchcraft movie. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's just not nothing that really jumps out at you at being like that was a great fucking movie. Uh, so that's where I ended up with 1995, and like I said, Scream comes out the next year, yeah, and everything changes. No, you're you're right. That is that is a big shift in this decade for sure. Um, okay, so interesting. That was not one of my two, oh, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, and I think it comes down to you know how we chose to grade which 95 ended up in my middle of the packet it, it's one of the lower ones it's a 90 okay but the way that it got there was i definitely tried to look at all the stuff that you were talking about but i also did try to factor in the sort of overall health of the genre uh-huh and i and i don't by that i don't mean quality i just mean by like is horror something that people are making? Mm-hmm. Is horror something that's getting wider releases? And and what I'll say is that 95, I agree with you. The, the, the highs are some of the lowest of the whole decade. In fact, I would say if I was forced to pick my favorite horror movies from 1995, like absolute favorite, um, man... Maybe hard, right? Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions is probably my pick. Yeah. And that would be, I don't think, I think that would be last uh, as a first pick of, of every year. Yeah. Um, mine would maybe be, uh, wow. Um, maybe Species? <laughs> oh, geez. Well, or that's... like. I uh, I've actually never seen Lord of Illusion, so that's that is a blind spot for me. Um, uh, uh, what was the other one? Sorry, um, 
No. Outbreak? <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a horror movie. That's not um, a horror movie. I mean, yeah, I like I Castle Freak is fun. Oh, Castle Freak. Sorry, that was yeah. the one that's yeah, that was the one. I like Tales from the Hood quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Lord of Illusions, and so that's like that's a movie I like quite a bit. But like as a best horror movie of the year, it's pretty low on the list. But on the flip side of that, I counted seventeen horror movies that came out in nineteen ninety five that either were why released into theaters or were popular, sure. you know, direct-to-video types of things. So, like, Castle Freak, for instance, didn't really get a theatrical run, but that's, you know, that's a movie that horror fans are well aware of. Right? Yeah. There are a couple other years on here where there might be a few more or a few better movies at the top of the heap, but I felt like the overall selection was so bad mm-hmm. that... um that it kind of drags the whole thing down. Uh, and so maybe let's, you can even help me. Let's litigate these two right now for my pick. Sure. Um, so maybe going backwards in time, the first of the two years that I had selected was 1993. That was my second pick as well, okay. actually, interestingly. Um, so just really, really quickly, in 93, these are movies that um, that I think people would at least recognize, right? Uh, Amityville, A New Generation, Body Bags, Carnosaur, the famous Corman Jurassic mm-hmm. Park ripoff, Children of the Corn 2, The Dark Half, uh, The Good Son, mm. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, Leprechaun, Maniac Cop 3, Needful Things, Return of the Living Dead 3, uh, that's pretty much it. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of like real cheapo sequels and stuff in here. Yeah. Um. Warlock. Armageddon, right. Yeah. Tommy Knockers. <laughs> it was, yeah. Fucking. I've never seen that movie. I never. Isn't that one of his big time Coke books? Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Totally. And, I oh, bought it. I have the book, but I haven't yeah. read it yet. It's also a TV movie, so I don't count those for purposes of these things. Yeah yeah. Um. But yeah, so going back through that list, like, you know, on my sort of rating scale, the only movie on there that I ranked as green as like, this is a good movie is Return of the Living Dead 3. Oh, um, there's also Abel Ferreira's Body Snatchers, which oh, I remember okay. liking, but I haven't seen in decades. I don't know if I've ever seen that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know the Puppet Masters was around this time, but. Never seen the Abel Ferrer one. He's an interesting director. Perhaps he that's is. good. Yeah. But so literally on my list, I only had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight impactful films that made my list. And of those, four of them are sort of bottom tier. Body Bags, Needful Things, Leprechaun, The Dark Half. Uh, sorry, Romero. Um, Man's Best Friend, Jason Goes to Hell, and The Good Son are kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Return of the Living Dead 3 is the best movie of that year. So that is that is the shortest list of any year I have. Oh, you know what actually mm-hmm. um, kind of fucked me here? What's that? No, it didn't fuck me. I think I still would go with 95. Um, but for some reason, Army of Darkness is listed on, in this one on IMDb. But then it actually is 1992. Yeah. 
So that was one of the, well, Army of Darkness came out. And then number two is Jurassic Park, which not really a horror movie, but, yeah. you know, horror. Yeah, I don't count Jurassic Park. If I did, that would maybe boost this up over my other. Yeah, bit. yeah. But those were the two movies that kind of threw, swung yeah. it for me. You know what I mean? That could but totally then, swing it. Yeah. yeah. Army of Darkness didn't come out in 93. Yeah. Um, My other one has a few more movies, but more bad movies. Mm. Um. But even just talking through these now, I think I know which way I'm going to go. So the other one I had highlighted was 1991. Oh, yeah. I looked at that one as well. Um, actual horror movies that anybody cares about. Alligator 2. <laughs> uh, Child's Play 3. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Ghoulies 3. Howling 6. Mm. Omen 4. The People Under the Stairs. Popcorn, which I've never seen, but people seem to like, all right. It's fun. I mean, yeah. But... Puppet Master 2 and Puppet Master 3. Scanners 2. Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. Sometimes yeah. they come back. Subspecies. The only movie Man, that's yeah, keeping this afloat, besides People Under the Stairs, is a movie that I was literally thinking earlier today before we came up with this segment. It was on a list of things, and I'm like, this isn't a horror movie to me. This is a psychological thriller. And that's The Silence of the Lambs, um, which if you want to count it as a horror movie, I will not argue with you. I'll put it that way. A lot of people call it a horror movie. I think those people are fucking basics who don't watch horror movies. So if there's a serial killer in something, they're like, oh, it's horror. It's horror, yeah. It's like, No, it's not. So, yeah, taking Silence of the Lambs and also Cape Fear, in that case, out yeah. of the movies, uh, that is a pretty dreadful year yeah. on par with the other two we've already pointed out. Yeah. So in this one, the trend seems to be, like, shitty sequels. Yeah. Um, I, I'll say it, um, there's more of them, it feels like, a more active horror are. year. You know? You're right. Yeah. Um. So... I do think that ultimately, you know, whether like if you don't disqualify Silence of the Lambs, then it's sort of open and shut. If you do, then you still have more movies coming out in 91. And even though they are all pretty shitty, the number one movie left of 91 for me would be People Under the Stairs, which I do like more than Return of the Living Dead 3. Yeah. Um, so I got to give it to 93. That's my worst year. Of the 90s, the worst yeah. of the horrors. And I think we can both agree 95, 93, both not great, not good years. Yeah. 95 would be my pick, but 93 was also the other backup that I had going into this. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you think. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on what you think is the worst f horror movie year in the 90s. A dark time for horror movies for a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um. But then it all changes, and then every movie was good after that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next week, we're going to be talking Basket Case 3, The Progeny. Uh, it's streaming in the same places that you watched Basket Case 2. I know Tubi, I think Plex, maybe one other place. But, um, yeah, that we'll be talking that and wrapping it up. And, um, you know, we'll talk about this. We'll remind you, we'll probably have a down week because Mike will be working on his film, The Devil's Gate, after that. But um, so we'll have a week off and then we'll start a new series. But yeah, sounds yeah. good. I can't wait to talk to you guys again next week about the progeny. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm cur- very curious. Very, very curious. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and as always, Staten Island? I love that place. <laughs>